Welcome into the Legal Fiction Podcast, where we overanalyze movies like the most annoying person in your group chat. I am Joe, joined by my co-host, Spencer. Spencer's back in like almost three, four weeks since the last episode he was on. Well, it's uh, it, it's been in able, capable hands, Joe. Quite <laughs> frankly, I don't even know why I bothered showing up. You were doing just fine without me. Um I, sure, I mean, uh, it, it took a real turn without you. I didn't talk about anything legal, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> but no, no. I enjoyed the, I enjoyed your solo pods, but uh, it's good to be back, so I can tell you when you're wrong about shit. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I think uh, it's called it's called accountability, man. Yeah. How is uh, how's the start of fall treating you? Oh, it's great. This weather's great. Uh, you know, it, it's been kind of shitty weather the last day or two, just perpetual rain. I drove halfway across the state of my residence yesterday through just a pretty heavy rain and gray cold conditions. But I figure we've got maybe a solid two more weeks of quality uh, leaf peeping weather, you know, where you got sun and leaves <laughs> worth looking at. And then you can throw on a hoodie or, a, you know, a North Face or whatever yuppie apparel you may be so inclined to wear. And uh, yeah, I, I'm digging it. Haven't gotten out to a pumpkin patch yet. I'm worried I've missed. <laughs> I, I'm, I've been so busy and just stir, shit crazy mm-hmm. with work. I, I'm afraid that we're past prime pumpkin material here. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, this is when I get into my full on like old man routine is like I went to, I mean, one, I went to Lowe's and that just sounds old <laughs> to say, but I went there like, last week and they already had christmas stuff out and i had like my full-on old man i'm like it's too goddamn early all right it's not even no, Halloween no, no, yet. No. i reject the premise that's not a full-on old man thing that's just a uh, no 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 even even a 12 year old child can be like, <laughs> like yeah this is early what, what are we doing here? <laughs> um so yeah, but speaking of, of you know the halloween season it is scary season and one of the uh, biggest scariest things is Conference USA is dead, man. Um, yeah. This isn't really legal news, but I, I put it in, in our discussion for this week. It's uh, I think it's dead. I think it's dead. Yeah. Liberty is down, man. Conference USA, the most American of conferences, <laughs> which in many ways it really was the most American of conferences. <clears throat> you know, it was filled with mediocrity and a disproportionate number of privately owned, if you will, uh, school or uh, members. And beyond that, uh, there was always scandals somewhere. You know, they were always getting into trouble, not the conference per se, but it's members. And uh, did I mention like poor quality products? That's the US of A, <laughs> baby. We don't make shit uh, worth <laughs> anything. So yeah, I, I feel think like- it's been it's been cannibalized towards uh, the march of progress that is uh, post capitalism. I'm looking <laughs> forward to there only being two super conferences in the next twenty years. Oh yeah, it'll be it's, great. Yeah, it's going to be just like the SEC and the Big Ten, and that'll be it. Mm-hmm. Or like the the big or the big Pac Ten or the, <laughs> yeah something like that. I don't the know. Big I mean, USA. It, it's essentially it's going to be the Civil War. <laughs> like, like re-fought but with athletic directors like <clears throat> we're gonna be able to delineate the conference by the mason dixon line before this <laughs> is all said and done I'm, I'm not fucking joking um well speaking of uh hyper capitalism uh, um 
we are in the mix of what they call what is it the great resignation i think is mm-hmm. what it was oh it's true and man i gotta say i mean fucking big ups to all the workers at i think it's kellogg uh john deere uh kaiser permanente all the ones from uaw iatsi i don't know if they've uh, authorized a strike yet but i think it's coming pretty soon which sorry are you marvel fanboys um that means that i don't know eternals 3 was probably delayed but no. I just guess, big fucking oh, no. up <laughs> and i mean just like seeing like the like purely like paid for news releases by like companies being like we're trying to work with them you know, like we're, we're trying, but they're not coming to the table. I'm like, how about just health benefits and better pay? That seems easy enough for me. John Deere has hit a windfall. It's a record profit year for them. Oh, yeah, they did awesome uh, in the pandemic. It's They did. They did. Uh, they made a killing, and <clears throat> uh, their employees – came to the table because it was time to negotiate their contract and John Deere, you know, pretty much like threw the breadcrumbs on the table and said, here you go. And the union, how dare they folks who like worked through the pandemic to make these mm-hmm. orders. They were the, they were the essential workers, quote unquote, and they have the goal. We, we clapped for them. Isn't that enough? They have the goal to collectively organize, which they are empowered to do by federal law. They have the goal to collectively organize and put together a unified statement of like, no, this is how we value ourselves. Let's bargain in good faith. Uh, instead of bargaining in good faith, John Deere just tells them to shove it. So what do the, what do the workers do? We're striking, bitch. And you know what? That's how it's supposed to work. And if I see one more bootlicker on social <laughs> media, you're like, dur, dur, uh, well, it's going to be real sad when you get replaced. You should have gotten a better education. Yeah, well, guess what? They tried to do that at John Deere with the people with degrees. And yeah. day one, they had to bring in ambulances because they got hurt on the job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, incompetence on the inside. And then they're calling the cops to snitch on the protesters. I think my favorite uh, police report I saw that uh, (laughs) actually uh, Ken Klippenstein uh, or Klippenstein got this through a FOIA request. And, you know, you know, whenever a union strikes, obviously they're intimidating people and committing crimes uh, because (laughs) uh, the organized mafia is alive and well in the upper Midwest (laughs) and elsewhere. But, you know, they were called to someone, quote unquote, harassing or inciting a riot. That's how the call came in. And the cops got there and it was just a group of picketers. <laughs> and like in their like incident report notes, they go, well, we saw nothing untoward. Uh, everyone seemed fairly calm and like they just been out there all day holding their placards. Uh, and we had a good conversation. They all seemed like nice fellows. yeah i think it like verbatim said they seemed like nice fellas yeah like the cop report it's like that's one of the nicest police reports i've ever read and i've read plenty uh but then again those cops were also union so solidarity uh okay you take allies you take allies where you can get them joe uh uh, yeah you know it's not like they're regularly employed to strike down unions (laughs) um but speaking of cops um I mean, what are we going to do with these cops quitting over not getting vaccinated? I mean, I, for one, am shocked that a lot of cops think that they're above the law. I'm going to hire them, Joe. Make, a, make your own securitas? I'm going to hire all of them, okay? 
But providing security services is only going to be a portion of their job duties. The other portion of their job duties will be uh, Facebook living or IG living <laughs> from the cab of their well, truck. Isn't uh, there like a new Trump social media network? Well, yeah, we'll be, we'll, we'll be incorporating that into our overall media marketing strategy. But you know what? We're, we're going to go across platforms. All right, we're going to reach minds. We're not here to preach to the, to the choir. We're here to get out the story of the indignity of requiring a frontline first responder to have a, well, just a basic prophylactic health, public health measure uh, before they go running into people's homes yelling at them, spraying their spit all over the place. That's what, yeah, that's what we're going to do. I love the video. I think it was in Seattle or at least Washington state where like the day after all these cops quit their job because they wouldn't get vaccinated. They had like a, uh, a big, huge meal event for homeless. And I was like, wow, it just took you quitting your job to actually help people in the community. Yeah. Instead of like, I don't know, like kick them while they're sleeping on a bench and like, then like or like forcibly throw them into a car and drive them to the edge of the city limits and dump them out and then if they complain like i don't know like pour some like vodka on them and kick them some more and then you know, frame them up i don't know i mean i'm not saying i have firsthand knowledge that that happened i'm just saying it's plausible <laughs> uh christ i know but yeah it's uh you hate to see it you hate, hate to see it hate to see it uh Moving into entertainment news and something that actually was pretty sad to see and kind of goes uh, to our point about needing just better union protections, um, specifically with IATSE. I um, want to give a quick rest in peace to Helena Hutchins, who is a cinematographer on the Rust production. I'm sure a lot of people know about this by this point, but she was unfortunately the person shot and killed on the set of Rust in a, uh, it's not a misfire, that's the correct term for it, accidental discharge, I believe of the gun which just like reading into the like uh the court papers filed on that i was like good god like how much do you have to fuck up in like running a set there's already been a lawsuit filed on that yeah so basically um quick uh and again i'm like a big time film nerd so uh i was reading into this just because it is something interesting to me so essentially on every set there's a prop master and there's an armorer the prop master is the person in charge of all props. There's no such thing really as a prop gun um, unless it's used just to show on camera. Prop gun, the guns that you see in movies for the most part are real guns. Like they are actual guns that can fire. And the way that they're normally done is they're blanks. You know, they have no projectile and they just have gunpowder. They make the big muzzle flash and it so that they can get the perfect lighting and re- reactive to it. Uh, and, but there's an armor, and the armor is the person who has the big tray of guns or set of guns that is used on every shoot. And how it normally works, and I'm probably going to butcher this, there's probably some prop master out there who knows this way better than me, is the armor is the only person who ever handles those guns. They check it to make sure it's not loaded. They do use dummy rounds, which are bullets, but they don't have gunpowder in them. And that's for close-ups when like, you, someone is like pointing the gun at the camera, and you can see that there's bullets in it, like a revolver maybe, hmm. or a clip. And that gun, it, you can pull the trigger, but it'll never fire because it's dummy rounds, so it has no gunpowder to, to uh, project the round out of the gun. So 
the armor is always going to handle it. They're going to load it either with the dummy rounds or they're going to load it with the blanks. They're always going to clear the gun too, which is the process where they have this long rod that has an orange tip normally end of it. And they insert it through all the way through the barrel till they see it come out. So they can say, this is a clear gun. There's nothing in the barrel. Um, there's a bunch of sets. The armor then hands it to the AD. The AD will take it on set. Every time they hand it to someone, they yell out cold gun, meaning this is a gun that has dummy rounds or nothing in it that can be used. Um, they, I don't know if they say it specifically for blanks too, just because sometimes blanks, even though they don't have any um, projectiles in them, can have little fragments that can still like shoot out, I think. So I think it's more of a closed set normally when you do have those blanks. With this one, for some reason, there was an actual goddamn bullet in the revolver. And unfortunately, the way that it was happening was it was a scene in which Alec Baldwin's character in the movie was pointing his gun directly at the camera for like a flashy shot. Gun went off and hit the uh, cinematographer, Helena Hutchins, and the director, I apologize, I'm forgetting their name, uh, in the shoulder, I think. Um, Double impact. Yeah, so... And obviously, I mean, I feel terrible for Alec Baldwin because he he's he's not in charge of making sure that that gun is clear. Like he's the actor on set, but he also is a producer on the movie, so that conflicts me too. Because he, you know, the buck goes up to him as the producer on the movie, so. It's just colossal failures because basically on this set, rather than there being an armor or a prop master, the AD just went and grabbed the gun off the tray, ran over, gave it to Alec and said, cold gun, even though it had never been checked. So yeah, that's pretty bad. And there's also just a lot of, uh, I've seen a lot of union complaints with it where they weren't paying for hotels. They had people walk off site due to unsafe working conditions with long hours um helena hutchins herself was one of i think two union people that stayed to work because she was up and coming and obviously you know she wants to work with Alec baldwin um so yeah it was just really sad and uh just a failure on all parts which is you know why i think we do need unions uh, in this world because it does provide more protection to these people who are kind of the unsung heroes of the industry it's almost like a union can be a free market response to like a free market solution to regulation and quality control (laughs) when you empower individuals to treat their trade as professionals there are expectations standards regulations norms and uh pride in what you do yeah that's a fucking terrible idea i mean uh god that's just that's just awful that's awful yeah so uh you know rest in peace to her and i well wishes to her family and i hope that alec baldwin does find you know some peace with his actions because i don't blame him for the actual pulling of the trigger um but as a producer you know i am conflicted on what sort of his responsibilities were on set in terms of hiring a a well-to-do armor and prop master who actually did what they were supposed to do on set totally totally um moving on to some i guess more lighthearted topics uh i saw halloween kills uh i heard it sucked it doesn't suck but it's not good does that make sense (laughs) um because uh everyone who's in it in terms of the talent i think was good like they played their parts well the kills are cool they're gnarly it's just the story the story doesn't make sense there's a lot of like and i'm never gonna be like oh well 
that's not logical. I'm like, it's a horror movie. Of course, it's not going to be logical. Um, but there's just a lot of like flows in it that I was like, what? There's a bunch of secondary plots that don't make sense. I'm like, why is this here? And the biggest thing that I hated about Halloween 2 back in the 80s was they had Jamie Lee Curtis, but she's basically not in the movie because they put her in the hospital bed the entire time. And that's like the biggest critique of the 80s one is they're like, you have Jamie Lee Curtis, but she doesn't really do anything in the movie. And then that's just what they do in this movie too. She's just in a hospital bed the whole time. Like she doesn't really get used. So I was like, that that's Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, yes, Halloween is Michael Myers, but it's also Laurie Strode. Like she is Halloween itself too. So that kind of irked me. Um, I still am, I still enjoyed it. I had fun because it's a fun movie to go see with friends, but um, I definitely understand the criticism of it. And I, I'm still going to see the third one because, you know, spoiler alert, there's, they've already announced that there's a third. So Michael Myers survives like always. Mm, I, I still think that franchise should have ended with Halloween H2O. Uh, yeah, or Resurrection was, oh, Resurrection is so bad. No, Halloween H2O. Uh, no, Resurrection awesome. being the one that came after H2O. Yeah, exactly. But like H2O, like it was a perfect like unity of storytelling it was a perfect like literally an anniversary episode mm-hmm. if you will and you know you had an active and kick-ass jamie lee curtis and she did great in it it had wonderful supporting talent it had a young josh hartnett and i think a young michelle williams like uh and ll good. cool j and ll cool j shit like it was good uh and like it was scary and funny like uh yeah. It, oh, and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I forgot he's in that too. He's in the beginning. Oh, yeah. He's a oh yeah. He's a prick who gets off early. He's like the uh, hockey punk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And uh, the one that guy who's in a crap ton of things. You may who's like her boyfriend in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I most remember him as the white supremacist in uh, season two of Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> hashtag dudes rock. Uh, yeah. And not those dudes. <laughs> well, not not those dudes, but just dudes who watch sons of anarchy generally rock i think we can i think the data's in on that i think we can prove that yes yes um but all right, on horror movie news uh just to update i have to make a retraction from an earlier <laughs> statement joe uh uh the gf and i uh i finally forced her to watch the first two Candyman movies okay. uh and yes the first one is far superior to the second one <laughs> now having watched it as an adult i still really enjoy the Candyman 2 farewell oh, i mean yeah it's enjoyable yeah. i think it's good and i think it's it's got some depth to it it's rich and it's got uh, seth cohen's mom from the oc in it as the <laughs> heroine that's great uh but the first one is man there's a lot going on in the first Candyman. it is like there's a lot going on and i mean yes it's a, horror. It's a I mean, beautiful movie it's like... it's so fucking good uh yeah yeah, Clive Barker uh, just knows how to do it, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then we don't need to talk about Candyman 3. That's, nope. uh, that's not good. Um, nope. Speaking of new movies out, though, um, have you seen Dune yet? No, I had plans to go see it in an IMAX, and then I forgot I had to go to a wedding thing over the weekend, <laughs> so I had to like surrender my tickets to someone else. Uh, so yeah. I'm going to get around to it. I, I want to see yeah, go ahead, I was—I want to see it in IMAX like that, but I just have so much like I'm going on vacation here the rest of this week, so I'm like, is Denny gonna be mad at me if I watch it on my phone on the plane? I'm told it's really worth seeing in theater, man. <laughs> uh, and this is from guys who are not 
cinephiles like you they were just like yeah no don't don't buy that on hbo like yeah just go well, just go and do it and that's what makes it so hard is like if you just have the hbo max it's just for free like you can just watch it on hbo max but i i totally feel like just even seeing the previews where i'm like this is a movie that is is going to be so much better it's like back in the 90s not to say it's the same as that movie but like do you remember going to see like twister as a kid in the theaters oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. then you got it on home video and you're like, this isn't, was this, this doesn't seem as good anymore. And you're like, oh, it was. Because it's not loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, though I have a, I have a bet uh, with some friends of ours uh, that we, it, it's a prop bet and we're, the terms are, I'm on the side that the new Matrix movie will have better scores on Rotten Tomatoes than the new Dune. And the new returns on Dune, ugh. Whoa, new Matrix better right be the new, the new Matrix better be awesome because it's uh whew, yeah. It's tight. Yeah, because like I, I remember like a bunch of people were like betting that Dune was not gonna be good. I think because they're just I like, was one of them. I yeah, they're like it's it not gonna, gonna translate suck. well. And like now it's like well, actually, it's pretty good, which, like, you know, it's it's Denny, how do you say it, Villeneuve, Denny Villeneuve, like, Villeneuve. I, you know, you can't doubt the guy, the guy just puts out fucking heater after heater, oh, yeah, it has French. an 83 from critics and a 91 from audiences. That's pretty good. But, I will say, um, I think, is it both have to beat for your prop bet, or just one? The uh, critics and the audiences. We, we may have been drinking when we set this, so I think there's some room for negotiation on this. Because uh, I could see the audience just because it's Matrix coming back, like beating it. I think we actually stipulated to critics because uh, audiences, like that's kind of a, uh, yeah, it's not exactly a reliable indicator. If there's a bunch <laughs> of fanboys who really like one or the other, they're going to get online True. and prop it up. You know, critics, True. like you can actually like control for that. True. True. Well, moving into the movie that we are going over this week, Jesus, if you've already seen finally, the, uh, finally, the, let's go. the title of this episode, um, since it is basically our Halloween episode that this is dropping on, this week we're looking at The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I don't care about my reputation. What I care about is telling Emily Rose's story. Church venerates thee as her guardian and protector. To thee, the, the Lord has entrusted the souls of the redeemed to be led into heaven. Pray therefore the God of peace to crush Satan beneath our feet. Do you understand how long they can put you away for this? I want people to hear what only I can tell. And what is that? What really happened to Emily and why? So she believed that her actual possession began that night at the hospital? I think she did. Emily had epilepsy. Father Moore's beliefs are based on superstition. Did Father Moore ask you to give her any medical help? I couldn't help her. Why couldn't you help her? Because there are no injections against the devil. Emily? Hey. Demons exist whether you believe in them or not. Just be careful, Aaron. There are forces surrounding this trial. Emily can 
Can you hear me? Excellent choice, Joe. Very niche genre. A yeah. supernatural horror legal drama. Well, yeah. Now it can't imagining... be much in that category. Yeah, I'm just like imagining the trial of like, I don't know, Michael Myers. <laughs> like, like, just like make just turning sitting Jay- there yeah, the just whole turning, time. turning Jason Voorhees into a procedural and like getting him <laughs> on the stand. Like Law and just, Order, Crystal yeah, Lake. Dun dun. <laughs> uh so yeah, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Um, we'll get into this more in the kind of production notes that I took down on the end of this, but it is actually based on a true story. Uh, when I yes. saw that, originally when it started, I was like, ah, bullshit. Like so many mm-hmm. scary movies in the 2000s said that. And it was, so many of them said that. And I was like, it's just Ed Gein. It's just based on Ed Gein. I know that, okay? Because it would be like some serial killer who like ate people or like someone who like, made things out of their bodies. I'm like, it's Ed Gein. Like, I know that a ton of those are just based on him. But this one actually had a real-life story that it was based on that was fucking gnarly. And the real-life photos from it, did you see any of those? I, I wish I hadn't. Yeah. So, uh, getting into the plot, um, this movie stars, uh, actually top build is Laura Linney as Aaron Bruner, I believe is how you say it in the movie. Sure. Um, which, I mean, Laura Linney, hell yeah. I've got notes on her. We'll we'll extol her virtues later. Um, she is a lawyer. Um, she's hotshot lawyer. Yeah, it's always like she's an ambitious hotshot lawyer, basically looking to move up in the firm. Uh, she is looking to take on a case. She just got some acquittal for someone that some wealthy guy. Yeah, they're just like, wow, I can't believe you got him off. Beat a murder rat, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but how it actually starts is at the farmhouse of Emily Rose and the priest himself, played by Tom Wilkinson, getting arrested. King! King! Oh, love Tom Wilkinson. Uh, 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 okay, notes on him later, too, but keep going. He's another guy that I always forget is uh, like some form of like British or English, too. Like yeah, you see, like, British. yeah, you see like interviews with him, and I'm like, oh, that's right, he's British because like so many movies, he just doesn't do an accent. Um, but uh, yeah, so he gets arrested because he performed an exorcism on Emily. Uh, didn't go according to plan. She passed away. I think it's basically just from like starvation or whatever. Co- combination of, uh, I mean, essentially in a sense, kind of like uh, exposure as a result yeah. of various wounds and self-inflicted wounds and malnutrition and her body just couldn't heal and keep herself Healthy. I mean, she just like kind of withered to death, if that makes yeah. sense. And they basically say um, they, they charge him with negligent homicide, basically mm. saying he didn't kill her, but like he shielded her from any sort of medical care that would have s- stopped her from dying, basically. So she goes to uh, take it on. She goes to meet him at the jail. Uh, Laura Lenny goes to meet Tom Wilkinson, which my first note 
this movie, it's scored like a video game. Did you notice that at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah it's... During like the parts where they're talking, there's just like ambient sort of like dark demonic music that you would have in like a Resident Evil game when you're just like in a cutscene talking to someone. Uh, and maybe it's because it was also lit like a video game too at some points. But, the lighting uh, was a bit much. We'll get to that here too. Uh, I've got a list of gripes. Actually, shit, it's growing. Okay, keep yeah. going. Sorry. So, one of the things that this it's really good talent, but it's not the best dialogue because there's a lot of just on the nose lines that they have throughout it. But uh, she at first he's like, I don't want you. I want a public defender. And she's like, I'm. They get into a little bit of a religious. Uh, topic because she's like I guess I'm an agnostic I don't really believe I don't really know um, but he decides to take her on as his attorney and at the same time we see that the state has decided to get this one special prosecutor in their office who is like a churchgoer he's not a catholic he's methodist sir but devout he goes yes. to church and shit and the yeah. prosecuting the prosecutor's office is like, oh, who are we going to put on this? We don't look like we're going after people of faith. Oh, we'll throw up that guy. He goes to church. Done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they um, they actually have some pretty uh, solid court stuff in this movie because they have like some opening arguments that I'm like, okay, it's like basically on like what an well, opening argument would be for a prosecutor uh, in a criminal case. I could if it, Well, if I may, Joe, if I may, just fill in some of the gaps here and also a, a subtle critique of the goddamn movie so we immediately go like i mean there are not but two minutes between her taking on his case and <laughs> we're in trial this is a high level i mean it's only negligent homicide but technically you could say that is a capital offense in the sense yeah. that it involves a murder or death okay and we are just through movie magic just right into it Oh, by the way, we've passed War Deer, which other movies have done. That's a that could be a really interesting area to focus on within a legal movie of like, how do you pick a jury for this strange case where the stakes are a woman died allegedly as the result of either uh, poor care and malnutrition or because she was possessed and her religious liberties are involved and a local priest for that matter is the defendant. That's some rich shit. Now we move past that and we go right to the fucking hairpiece prosecutor given his little <laughs> spiel about uh, yeah. facts, about facts and and duties and what he uh, did. Yeah, I mean, I get that. It, it definitely, it's, this is, like I said, a, a supernatural horror legal drama, but it's definitely not focused on the legal, like, procedure part of it. It's definitely, a, it's a 2000s, mid-2000s horror movie at the, at yeah. the moment. So it's, it's not focused on that part of it. Um, but, uh they uh they the whole story of emily rose is uh, is shown through flashbacks because it's the case and they interview mm -hmm. witnesses and it's showing what's happening so we get to see more about emily she was basically from the family from footloose it seems like because <laughs> uh there was like she got her mom gets mad that she's like jumping on the bed uh they're mm -hmm. scared about her going to college because they mm -hmm. seem like a pretty religious family catholic <laughs> farmers like and uh, she gets a scholarship to go to some um, unnamed college in the city. And so she's able to go. And she uh, she goes there. And I got to say, man, Jennifer Carpenter rocks it in this movie. She's fucking good. 
like uh yeah so like the i mean all through the flashbacks we actually get to witness this happy-go-lucky naive you know good god you know good catechism carrying uh college student just devolve and like her i mean like in your standard exorcism movie scenes like it starts off with her having a you know a flip out in her bed where it feels like there's something pressing on her and like like harassing her and like moving her body and she flips out and runs and calls a you know calls an old friend from town who's one of the first witnesses that's how how we get into it and then you just see her devolve and like through all of this you know there are so many like I mean, the state's case here is that Emily actually suffered from a combination of epilepsy and psychosis, which sort of like, like the psychosis would doubly affect the severity of the, you know, of the epilepsy and the epilepsy, epilepsy effects would affect the psychosis and kind of back and forth. So like her body throughout this movie is just doing crazy contortions and like in still frame, like she's just sitting there in like, it's disturbing like how good she is because mm-hmm. you're like how is a body move like that and they're not possessed and or like her screaming or contorting her eyes or neck or mouth in just terrible ways like she owns it i mean she may have owned it a little too well it may have actually set her career back to be honest so, well, like, she had but, dexter after this man yeah but i mean she's a juilliard train actress and uh she you know had this and dexter and like some other stuff i mean she's had a career don't get me wrong but like she never really had a big movie role after this because guess what? People are going to look at you and be like, isn't that the chick who did this face? Yeah. Podcasts are a visual medium. We know, but like watch the movie. It is like, it'll burn right into your, into your memory. I was really impressed with it, which I do have to say about her. Um, so one, her, like you mentioned her first kind of encounter is she is, she's at school. I think it's like during a break or something. She like stayed back at school and she, something gets on her bed and is like pressing down on her. Um, it uh, specifically takes place at 3 a.m., which according to Tom Wilkinson is like the hour of the devil at night because it's in, it's considered yeah. the time, I believe, when like Jesus died on the cross. Um, it's also... It, Jesus died at 3 p.m., so 3 a.m. is the inversion of that. Yeah. It's also like a play on the Trinity, uh, like yes. a, sort of like a foul joke about that. Uh, uh, also, like don't Google the 3 a.m. Uh, waking up at 3 a.m. thing because you're going to find some really weird reddits and quora things and like I went down those comment threads so, it got weird I won't go down this hole because this could be its whole other just like weird ex- our own weird experiences but I forgot how much this movie affected me as a child because mm-hmm. one of the worst nightmares I've ever had in my life I was well I wasn't a kid I was 19 um, and so it was when I was in college and it was, I woke up and it was three o'clock in the morning and it pretty much mirrored what happened in Emily's uh, first nightmare here. So I forgot. I was like, oh yeah, this movie really fucked with me as a kid. <laughs> um, but uh, so she, like I said, she then, um, her second experience is she's in class and like the, uh-huh. there's some shitty 2000s effects, like the dude's face morphs into a demon. She runs outside more people's faces are morphing into demons. Um, it does look better than the devil's advocate. I will say sure. that. Sure. Um, uh, she does some a more really good contorting where she's in the church and yeah. her like 
boyfriend, I think, comes up to her and she's just like bending all the way backwards. Uh, her mm-hmm. eyes go all the way black, which the state is alleging that's a side effect, I believe, either of epilepsy or of the medication that she was on. That yeah, it could and- cause like your pupils to fully dilate and it would look completely black. Yeah, that was a little fuzzy, but that's a key plot point too. Like as soon as this shit started, she started, she went to like the local doctors. And I mean, it's a university. There were university medical professionals. Yeah, she went to like the health center and got and then, prescribed like, some stuff. Well, and I think she went to like the university hospital. Like, I mean, like judging by the like expert witnesses the state brought in, they're like, they diagnosed her with epilepsy uh, and like potential psychosis and like being like, yeah, man, which, you know, candidly, that's about the age where some of those things actually start to show and surface. Uh, but like, I mean, shit, if I was a social worker or, you know, counselor in the area and she was describing these incidents to me, I'm like, yeah, man, you're just, you just started taking recreational psychedelics. Like, <laughs> that's what this is. No, like the, that paranoia, the like faces like turning to black, like yeah. everyone is like turning into a demon. I'm like, it was brutal. All, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is legit. Like, if you haven't seen it before, especially, it's legit terrifying. Like, it's a scare. It does a good job of like making you feel that fear. Yeah. Uh, so, Father Moore, played by Tom Wilkinson, his theory is that the drugs she was on uh, kept her brain activity paralyzed, and that's what allowed the demons to get in. And so, they don't really get in more because it seems like he's blaming the doctors but then he had a doctor help him it's kind of murky there but um her final experience before she goes home is she's in the dining hall which dude this the food in this dining hall looks disgusting well i mean Uh, it seems to me that this movie took place in like the early 90s like it just it's it's a 2005 movie outside of the cell phones being involved like i mean everyone's decor like which makes me play it looks like a psych board that they're like eating this in this dining hall yeah yeah uh but i mean i i I can recall being in college and severely hung over at the dining (laughs) hall and hearing everyone's like plates and glasses yeah you're just like like, oh what are you doing oh i'm gonna flip out like relatable yeah so and that's one of the points she is tormented by all the sounds of silverware because she's saying that the demons or the voices inside her head won't let her eat so it's like torturous to hear other people eat um she then goes to sleep in her dorm room her boyfriend wakes up and in the middle of the night and she's on the floor in one of the just gnarliest like contorted uh positions just like frozen yeah she's like a stress toy or a uh, you know like kind of like well she looks like she's just twisted and kind of bent like ah what she looks like a spider after you like spray it with raid like on your ground like on your floor and Um, she's staring at the boyfriend too like with those big black eyes and he goes to be like he's like emily and she just screams at him so he takes her home immediately to her parents like that night they put her to bed uh and then uh father moore goes into telling his story on the stand which is basically they tried an exorcism um the, at first, the daughter comes up to see with Emily, and she's, like, eating bugs off the ground. She's jumping up and down from, like, squats to kneeling. She's been climbing the paint off the walls. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, like, weird coloration. Uh, and you learn later that she's actually trying to bite through the walls, like, nine. It, it's just awful she's, shit. Uh, yeah, she's speaking in tongues and Latin, I think, probably. You may say the rosary. 
or any private prayer of your own for her deliverance when you're not responding to my words. Above all, do whatever I ask without question. Don't ask it any questions or pay any attention to what it says. It? We won't be dealing with Emily tonight. Trainer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Send her help from the holy place, Lord. And give her heavenly protection. May the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those that trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil! Who are you, demon? Tell me your name. just wrote down in my notes i was like maybe it was uh being sent to catholic school my entire childhood but this shit's pretty terrifying um uh and he we actually then get a cool um another court sequence i thought at least where they have an expert witness come in and in most people's mind an expert witness has to be in like some sort of like highly reputable field that's like you know Easy you know, to define by science, but with this yeah, you man, got a white, you got a lab coat, you know, you got yeah. the beakers, you got the glasses. Uh, you're like, I'm an, I'm an expert. Meh. But Laura Linney brings in a um, Dr. Sadira Adani. I probably screwed that up, but she is a studier of basically like religion and occult and demon, like all these sorts of things that, like, to the prosecutor, he's like, this is a, like a stupid, like witch doctor. Like, the defense calls Dr. Sadira Adani. I am currently a professor of anthropology and psychiatry 
at Northwestern University. Where did you receive your education? At Yale and then at Cambridge. And what is your specific area of expertise? I study the spiritual experiences of people in various cultures and the physiological and psychological changes they undergo during these experiences. Would it be accurate to say that you specialize in the scientific study of possession? Yes. Possession is one term for a basic human experience reported by a great number of people all around the world. In my field work, I've seen many people who experienced a sense of being invaded by an entity from the supernatural realm. Why do you think Emily was invaded? Why did this possession happen to her? Based on my study of the case file, I believe that Emily Rose was a hypersensitive, a person with an unusual connection to what Carlos Castaneda called the separate reality. Hypersensitives are born different from everyone else. They can have visions of the future or see the dead and sometimes be uniquely susceptible to invasion by an entity that is alien to them. Objection. On what grounds? How about silliness, Your Honor? A young girl suffered terribly and died. Do we have to subject her illness to this pseudo-scientific analysis? Both counselors, please approach the bench. This testimony is beyond ridiculous. Visions of the future are the systems are shared by millions, perhaps billions of people in the world. Her expertise is directly relevant to the well, issues in this case. Bring in a witch doctor to sift through some monkey bones while Stop. we're Stop! We've heard a great deal of testimony in support of a medical explanation for Emily's condition. Now we have a witness who has spent her career studying the defense's alternative explanation. An exorcism expert, if you will. I think we'll hear what she has to say. Thank you, Your Honor. Dr. Adani, why do you think Emily's exorcism failed? The medical treatment, specifically the drug, Gambutrol. Please explain. The exorcism ritual results in a specific brain activity that cuts a person off from the possession experience. But Emily's exorcism could not have achieved this because the doctor gave her Gambutrol, which has an intoxicating effect on the brain. The drug made her immune to the psycho-spiritual shock that exorcism is intended to provide. What do you believe was the ultimate result of treatment with this intoxicating drug? Gambutrol locked Emily in the possessed state. This left her unable to respond to the exorcism, and therefore it directly contributed to her death. Thank you, Doctor. No further questions. Why are we hearing this? And like, not like, and I, and I wrote in my notes, I'm like, she is a good expert witness because it goes to like the state of mind that like Emily was in at that time. Like if she okay. truly did believe that she was being possessed, like this person can attest to like what someone in that position might do or behave like. Here's what pisses me off though, is she found this expert quote unquote once oh yeah, everything like for the started. court charge was like, like trial's already going. She's like, hey, we need to find an expert to explain this. And then the associate out of nowhere comes up. 
and brings her a bunch of books about possession. And then Laura Lenny, like, hey, associate, I've been reading this. This lady, uh, the doctor you mentioned, seems legit. She's at Northwestern. So, like, credible. Uh, we, and he's like, you want me to find her? It's like, yeah. And then, like, the next scene, it's like, ah, she's testifying now. And uh, we're just going to go with it. Like, I, I'm sorry. I know I'm being too law nerdy, but I'm like, yeah, I mean, again, that's like not the focus of this movie. Yeah. Like, it doesn't go into like the whole like courtroom stuff because, uh, again, with that, um, Father Moore withholds from Laura Linney herself that there was actually a doctor present at the exorcism. And huh? so she's just, and she, and to her credit, she's like, why, why did you not tell me this? Like, if there was a doctor there, like, that would really help our case. And he's like, well, he told me to keep his identity secret. And I made that promise to him. But he actually, this doctor contacts Laura Linney himself. He wants to testify about what actually happened that uh, night of the exorcism. He has it on a tape recorder. Damn he gives right. that tape recorder to Laura Linney. And uh, we end up hearing it in the trial, actually before he is even set to testify. And that's another like core thing. She's like, I gave it to you this morning. Like, I know that it wasn't on the list, but like you have time to review it now and we'll get it in later. So that's another quick thing. I was like, whatever. But on the uh, tape recording, we hear how the uh, exorcism went. Didn't go well. <laughs> Tell me your name. He who commands you is he orders you thrown down from the highest heaven into the depths of hell. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I now command you. Tell me your name! I thought I feel sick! Here, therefore, and fear, Satan, enemy of the faith. Give me your name, demon! Names! Names! Adoratorata Armiamshashika! Ancient serpents! Depart from this servant of God! Tell me your six names! We are the ones who dwell within. Honey, you shush your head, but talk about you. And I kiss a paraffin and you die. And I am Lucifer, the devil. Awesome exorcism, though. That shit was awesome. Like, <laughs> yeah, so it's it's an awesome scene by Jennifer Carpenter again, because like she runs out to the barn. She so, well, first first she summons while getting she's tied down in her bed, right? Mm -hmm. And she summons like once like the demon or whatever is challenged, she summons like evil powers, and then all of the fucking farm cats that they keep in the house because they're gross like farm cat people. <laughs> come running into the room and then one of the cats just like first she like beats like and hits her dad 
and then one of the farm cats attacks the priest and knocks him down just like i'm like well don't don't have more than one cat that's my uh <laughs> that's my solution to this situation so yeah and then she runs out into the barn and makes the horses go crazy they break out of the barn and run out they even like knock over the dad and hurt him uh she has this really i i thought a nice um uh line reading where she goes over I'm not just, you know, one demon that's possessed Emily. I am six demons, including Lucifer himself. Like she goes over, like I was, you know, the demon in uh, Cain. I was the demon in Belial, like all these different ones. She's like, and I'm the devil himself inside her. Yeah, that was pretty heavy. I mean, talk about an all-star roster. Like you got (laughs) six. And like, it's really cool because she starts speaking in tongues during the exorcism in German, like, which is also Mm -hmm. a nice little nod to the fact that the story this is based on involved a German girl in the 70s, you know, and then it goes into a mix of Latin and like ancient Greek and all sorts of like, and may potent possibly Aramaic, we don't know, like, I mean, just all sorts of language that when you put a demon filter on it, that language sounds pretty fucking evil. Like, it's pretty good. It's <laughs> yeah, pretty normal. Always, it either sounds evil or just overly aggressive. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, they then she then tries to bring in this doctor, uh, Doctor Cartwright, to testify. He doesn't show up, but he's also just she leaves the courthouse and he's just wandering around the courthouse like he's just right outside. Because um, I like how the associate comes in. And he's like, I don't know, can't find him. And then she just like turns the corner at the courthouse. I'm like, he's right there. Like he was yeah. walking down the side of the courthouse. Listen, our uh, associate's been batting, you know, 800 so far, you know, so he, he has one swing and one miss. <laughs> don't hold that against him. He's been carrying this defense. Uh, but he's just like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't testify. Like basically like demons are coming after him because he's like seeing stuff around him. Um, also, I didn't mention uh, Laura Linney, even though she doesn't believe in God, that's kind of one of the things she's starting to like maybe see demons. Um there's indiscriminate PG-13 horror stuff happening around her every night. Yeah, her door opens. Yeah, it's just like little yeah. thing. Uh, so the doctor says, I can't testify. Uh, he goes to walk away, and a car just comes and fucking nails him and kills him. Yeah, that was some Gatsby-level shit right there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he goes like through the windshield. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that part, that was gratuitous. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, and uh they so she's like well now my case is screwed uh she also gets yelled at by her boss because he's like why did you let father Moore testify we wanted to have this be a quick case to get the diocese like minimize their uh hurt to their reputation and he's like if you put him back on the stand um i will fire you which i was like "Mm, i mean it's kind of unethical but okay well, shit, I just appreciated the fact that this movie, which came out in what, 04, 05? Uh, you know, the, yep, the, the, local, the local diocese is really worried about bad PR. <laughs> hey, man, uh, this is years before Spotlight, all right? No, but this is going on during the time of Spotlight. Know, know, like, during, like, when those shit was coming out, when the archdiocese, I'd be like, honestly, like, if I'm the diocese and I'm worried about PR and, like, every other story about anything Catholic is like, well, another, uh, another pederast, another, another diddler. You know what? I would welcome a story about demonic possession. That would just take some heat off that. You know what? Well, the, 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 whatever the Bishop was probably like, can you just handle this? I got to shuffle 15 priests around right now. 
So can you just please get this off my docket? Yeah, well, we yeah noticed that uh, we had no expert testimony from any fellow priests. Or <laughs> was like, nope. They're like, that's ah, not a credible witness right now. <laughs> uh so yeah the but he does or she does let uh father moore go back and testify and what he does is he reads a letter that she wrote the day before she died and he lets the court know and emily claims that she was visited by virgin mary herself uh in a dream in a field by her house and she said you can either come to heaven now or endure suffering and be like uh icon for all those uh after which i was like okay i I didn't really get that i was just like i would have been like yeah take me away right now but i guess that's why i'm not as uh devout as emily yeah the deal was uh hey take my hand and come to you know heaven come chill with my son jesus uh or you can go through another year of excruciating pain to essentially make an example to everyone that, hey, you can be a believer. And then it results in a prosecution. So I'd argue it kind of backfired, but I don't know. Yeah. So, and then he also claims that uh, days later after that, she had the stigmata on her hands, which for those of you that aren't religious is you have wounds on the center of your palms akin to when Jesus was crucified on the cross. I'm not Uh, religious, but I did see the movie Stigmata. Yeah. Uh, And the prosecutor is just like, well, what about if she just did it to herself? Which I was like, yeah, we don't have any evidence to the contrary. Like, also, yeah. we're just taking this priest at his word. Like, she had stigmata. Okay, cool. Enter that in the record. These wounds are clearly divinely inflicted. Uh, they carry the mark of uh, Archangel Gabriel's, uh, I don't know, fucking knife and file. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. So uh, the jury then goes back to deliberate. They come back, they reach a verdict of guilty, but when the judge says, okay, I will set sentencing, the jury goes, well, actually, we had a suggestion. Could you just do a sentence of time served? Which I was like, I'm not a criminal lawyer, so I don't know if that's how it's done. If the jury can just be like, hey, judge, can I just pipe in here? Um, What about if you just do this for the sentencing? And the judge uh, allows it. Yeah, the judge is like, okay, cool. Which also is um, the father Moore had said in the beginning, if I do get found guilty, I want to be sentenced immediately, which is another thing I was like, sure, I don't, I'm not a criminal lawyer. Maybe that's a thing. I have no idea. I guess uh, you can wait. Yeah, I mean, you, you can ask. I think. Yeah, you could, I'm sure you could ask. But like, yeah, the whole thing with the jury just being like, what about if you do this? And the judge is like, yeah, okay. Um, so they give him time served. Yeah, he gets time served, which is just the time that you spent in jail before you got found guilty is your sentence and now you're free to go. So uh, Bruner, uh, Laura Linney's character gets offered a partnership at the firm because of, I guess, the courage she showed. She says no. Um, she, I don't know if she, she quits the firm. I don't know if she stays there, but uh, then it just ends with Father Moore and Bruner visiting Emily's grave and Father Moore, in Father Moore's opinion, eventually Emily will become a saint. Which, yeah, he's, got, he's got a petition for it, which I don't sure. know if he's going to get a lot of backing. The diocese didn't really back him up on anything else, but um, that's fair. But I mean, y'all, I mean, how many saints are there? You should know this. <laughs> you know, 12 years of Catholic school really failed me because I, I don't, there's um, Peter, 
Okay, we're Teresa? okay. Fine. Okay. 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 Uh, but it the one thing that I did think about this ending of this movie was was kind of weird. Was they then have like a post mortem text where they're like, uh, Emily was used as a like Father Moore went into into seclusion. Emily Bruner like did this with her practice, and Emily Moore was a or Emily Rose was eventually used as a patron of blah blah blah, and like. I was like, but they're not real people. They're not fucking <laughs> real. Like, I mean, that's that's a really frustrating thing. It's like, like it's marketed as based this based on true events. It's like, yeah. well, in a sense, it is because in Germany, some crazy ass Bavarian Catholic family had a severely like ill daughter, and the priest got involved, and they rejected modern medicine in the seventies or eighties, yeah. uh, and went with the priest. And so, yeah, like in a sense it's based on true story but you're not taking the right message because uh the same year this came out uh, another movie uh based on the actual subject uh, you know the you know, origin material based out of the german case called requiem and it's a german movie came out and it kind of examines this in a different way kind of being like oh maybe the collusion of faith and science and medicine is problematic as opposed to but this is but we're american we like scary fucking movies so we're like oh tom wilkinson's the good guy we knew what was up. Uh, yeah i just thought that was weird where like they provide like what they did after and i'm like they're not real people why why are you providing like this like documentary style ending to this movie joe because we were essentially watching a slightly better made horror version of god's not dead too you know what? And in the movie, Tom Wilkinson says, God's not dead. And I said, you know what? He's not whatever. He's surely alive. But this movie's way fucking better at that message. This director also, uh, I mean, like he's a devout Christian. Like this is this is low-key Christian cinema before Christian cinema became a like, you know, like a, a, a its own huge like sub-industry. Like this is one that uh, the evangels and the Catholics like slip through into the mainstream <laughs> under the guise of, oh, it's a possession movie. And like, we all love that shit. I mean, agnostic, Baptist, Catholic, Hindu, whatever. Like that's fascinating. So let's go. Um, so yeah, that's the end of the movie. Um, getting into the legal points, we kind of already um, talked about some of them with like just how it's kind of like rushed into the actual legal part of it. Um, but getting in is some of the court stuff I do think is solid, like in terms of like how they argue for like the opening arguments and the closing arguments and the questioning and the establishing an expert witness. I was like, this is all solid. Now I totally get that like it was rushed and it's just like, hey, I need a lawyer. You're going to show up at court tomorrow for a huge capital murder case. That part was dumb. Um, also, uh, I didn't know I was like negligent homicide. Is that a Oh, it's a thing. I was uh, like, I, yeah, it's a thing. But I was like, why is the state charging it here? I, I don't know. It didn't, it just seemed weird, especially when I found out that there was a doctor on site. I'm like, the, hmm. I feel yeah, like the it, state would like see enough to be like, well, we, there's a doctor there. So I don't know. But um, also, and then the biggest thing was like, can a jury just suggest sentencing? <laughs> like that was the one thing for me. Uh, so I'll take the, the last question first. Uh, I mean, a jury's duty generally is to determine liability. 
Uh, but, you know, in civil cases, they can, you know, I mean, they come up with the damages. So within a criminal context, I mean, shit, especially in a supercharged thing like this, if a jury just said, Your Honor, we, you know, have a recommendation. I mean, like the court, I mean, it's not routine, but I can, I can see a, a, a trial judge being like, well, I'll listen to what you have to say. I mean, we've been yeah. through this together. I mean, it's the judge's decision on sentencing for that kind of thing. Like, no, I get to make that call. But, you know, I mean, they get like, you know, uh, they take feedback or advice from, you know, caseworkers and things like that, pre-sentence uh, determinations and probationers, like all that kind of stuff. So why not let the jury who's just sat through all this? I mean, this case isn't exactly your standard criminal uh, trial. So fuck it. Like, that's fine. A uh, couple of things that really gave, and I already alluded to things that annoyed me just about procedure. It was rushed, et cetera, et cetera. To your point, yeah, it's, a, it, it's a really fun law movie in that it does certain components of trial really well. Like the yeah. arguments, like the like I said, openings and closings, believable. The questioning of witnesses was pretty good. The objections raised, I thought, were also very good. They yeah. weren't grandstanding. It was like, it was like, no, that's a good objection right there. That's good. Uh, uh, I mean, there was a few kind of like uh, squirrely things going on whenever the judge and the attorneys would yell at each other and call sidebar on different things right in front of this expert witness that hasn't been designated yet but and then the expert just to keep gets to keep talking after it whatever without a ruling but i thought the judge also was played really well um mm -hmm. i don't know the actress's name i just know her as haircut because it's uh, an unfortunate haircut and uh yeah uh i thought the legal end of that was good but a few things that bothered me was we don't know where this movie is, right? Like, we don't, uh, which kind of bothers me, I guess, because it's clearly, quote unquote, middle America, right? And, uh, yeah. and then like, and then when the state is like, I represent the state in it, and then the state of what? It's like nothing. We represent the yeah, state. Yeah, it's very like unnamed. And I'm like, are we worried about catching a lawsuit from like the state of <laughs> Illinois being like, nope, you can't slander us like this. Nope. Yeah, and, and like maybe it was because like we're both from the Midwest, but I immediately pictured this as like, like you said, like Illinois or like Wisconsin or like Iowa because like it was like a farm town, very Catholic. So my first take was. I think this is Kansas and I was basing it okay. generally off of, uh, you know, and in my mind it was Kansas farm and then the big city lawyers in Kansas city. Right. Uh, okay. and you know, it's a big city lawyer because, uh, she and her big city lawyer types go to one fancy bar. One like, but, yeah, like it's like, it's a, always it like a rooftop same, bar. Yeah. But it's always the same bar, yeah. which means they can't be in Chicago or New York or anywhere cool. <laughs> there's just, there's literally a, one bar that's like the only, fancy way. Yeah. There's only one bar that makes it, that makes a proper martini. That, that's it. That's all we got. But you know, when I get to, when we get to like Emily in college and stuff, she goes to the big city, you know, like mm -hmm. the big city for school. And just looking at the architecture and the weather, it felt more like a Minnesota thing to me. It struck me okay. as like she grew up in rural Minnesota on a farm in a Catholic community and then went to the twins. You know, she went to Minneapolis, St. Paul for school. She's a, she's a UM student. All right. She's going to become a teacher. They've got a great teaching program. Up or maybe Minnesota. to make her parents happy. She went to like St. Thomas. Uh, well, the Catholic yeah, school in yeah, St. Paul. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Bunch of, bunch of nerds uh, up there, but which I did uh, know, I looked up while you're talking, the judge is played by Mary Beth Hurt, uh, 
three-time t- Tony Award-nominated actress. Whoa, she's a oh, so she can sing. Right. She is. Uh, her husband, Paul Schrader. <laughs> um, yeah. How's the trip? Paul, how's the trip? Sorry. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And she is a Midwest uh, girl herself. She was born in Marshalltown, Iowa, uh, hmm. studied drama at the University of Iowa, uh, and then, uh, like every other actor that you look up on Wikipedia, went to Tisch. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, but no, I mean, it was just small stuff like that on the legal quibbles. Uh, my biggest legal critique here is more of this movie not knowing what it's doing. Uh, it's an interesting approach to telling a possession through the lens of a courtroom proceeding. We've had many subject matter told through a courtroom proceeding, like a few good men. Like, I mean, like, like so many movies have been told through the lens of a courtroom proceeding. Yeah. But like a but horror I, movie, I can't think of another one. No, I can't either. I can't either, and, and that's a tougher story to tell, right? Because it's not only have to provide exposition to raise the stakes, but also scare you, which is cool. It's a great idea, but ah, it takes the courtroom because honestly, half more than half, I would argue, of this screen time is about in the courtroom or prepping yeah. for courtroom. You know, so I mean, yes, this is a horror movie, but it's really a legal movie. And so as a legal movie, you got to get some things figured out. But at the same time, as a horror movie and a legal movie, and then also a faith movie. So there's, there's a triangulation here. So, and it, it gets confused. It's like, what are we trying to push here? What's our takeaway here? Because uh, you know, there are better possession movies. There are better courtroom movies. And I don't know if there are better, like, you know, faith movies. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of <laughs> oh, a tough audience on those. Say, but. God's Not Dead two stands would beg to differ. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Melissa Joan Hart can't be stopped. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, it, it, I guess I can't really quite distill my concern into it. It's just the movie, much like my thoughts right now, seems jumbled in what it's yeah. trying to do. Yeah, and it definitely, I, it, 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 it suffers from that mid-2000s of not even really horror, but just movies itself. It really was kind of like a dark ages where a lot of movies you could tell were just pushed out and like, they didn't have like a totally discernible creative path that they were on just yet before they got pushed out. Um, Cause in terms of like horror and thriller and just suspense, I think we are in more of a golden age now where there's more creative freedom given to some of the, uh, you know, artists out there. But the mid 2000s, and I don't know, maybe I'm biased. It did seem like there was something I'm like, this was just put out there because they knew like teenagers would go see it on the weekends. Yeah. And I did. And I did. And I went with uh, some friends who were very much under the influence of something. I was not, but uh, <laughs> I was sort of kind of driving them. And man, did they have a rough reaction to this movie? It, like, <laughs> I mean, and it startled me. Like, it scared me. And it, I think it may have messed them up for a couple of weeks. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I saw this movie uh, as like a, what would it be, like a preteen kid, and I was just like, fuck, this movie's rough, man. Uh, like, it just, like, it, it it scared a little Catholic school kid like me. Um, but getting into, I don't know if you have any more legal points, but uh, our scores on the movie. So does this movie pass the bar? Um, if it's over 50 average from both of us that means it passes the bar um if it's not then it doesn't so spencer what 
is your score and does this movie pass the bar for you? Okay. So I've, I've complained a lot, but I've also like heaped praise at certain parts. So this is going to be a solid 80 for me. You know? Damn. Yeah, I don't know. And I'll tell you why. Uh, Laura Linney, I mean, I think yeah, the, strength, she gives, yeah. the strength of this movie is the performers. Uh, the script is sort of like, eh, you know, like, and the legal like import of it is sort of like, ah, oh, there's some good stuff. There's also some ridiculous stuff, but the actors, like Laura Linney crushes here. Laura Linney does nothing but crush generally. She can't be stopped. And I also found it interesting and worth noting that usually in these types of movies, you know, you try to like introduce the it one centered around like a female attorney or a female protagonist professional. There's some sort of like husband or fiance or boyfriend who doesn't understand her or anything like that. Like this does none of that. She's just on her own. She's like, no, I'm doing my career. There's no hint of like yeah, there's no love it. interest. There's no doesn't, partner. Doesn't fuck around with that because it doesn't need that because this is her story and she's a pro and let's go through it. So that's awesome. Tom Wilkinson is one of the best living actors. Oh, uh, awesome. Yeah, he, he, he can do anything. Uh, he's great. And yes. we'll probably be talking about him in not too long when we do uh, Michael Clayton. Matter of fact, oh, we're, yes. we're doing plays, that pretty soon. Yeah, where, where, he, where he plays an attorney. Uh, but even smaller bits, like obviously we talked about, uh, I can't think of the namesake of Emily Rose, Jennifer Carpenter. Carpenter. She was awesome. She was incredible. Yeah. And uh, the, you know, I thought, like I said, the judge was good. I thought the guy who played the prosecutor did it very well. He was the perfect mix of self-righteous and also very sober and rational about things and be like, your honor, you're fucking kidding. This is a witch doctor <laughs> we're talking to. And I was like, yeah, no, that's exactly what this prosecutor should do in this situation. Absolutely. Uh, no, so I'm giving it an A. It, I, would, it's a, I would recommend watching it. I went into this thinking oh this movie kind of sucked and it does but uh, only in small ways uh on the whole i would recommend people watching it so we'll give it an 80 gotcha so i came in uh below you uh i am giving this movie a 71 and i actually when i first uh was watching through this movie i was like this movie's like a 60 like this movie is like like I just I get so off put or put off whatever you want to say by the mid two thousands horror movies where I'm just like what is what's going on here, but mm. as the more I watched it I was like you know what this is a little different than the other mid two thousands horror movies like the other mm -hmm. mid two thousands were like just stupid and like were purely made to like for teens to hold hands to and I'm like this one it actually like does good at just building like atmospheric horror. And I approach this movie not as, I mean, maybe I shouldn't have because this is a legal movie pod, but I approached it more as watching just a horror movie. And that's where I took some points off where I was like, it does have those mid 2000s vibes to it. But at the same time, I was like, it does so much more. And like you mentioned, Laura Linney kills it. Tom Wilkinson's always the man. And the biggest part for me was Jennifer Carpenter. I was like, holy she, hell, she's good. She like, crushed it. Like she just did awesome. The performances are all great. Um, I didn't like the scenes with Laura Linney where it was like possession maybe coming for her because it was just yeah. like stupid and it didn't really matter. Um, it also suffered from the mid 2000s where it's like, can we uh, light a scene at all? Because there'd be only, some punch on. 
only with a purple glow. The <laughs> There'll be some scenes where I'm like, I, I don't know what's happening on screen right now. I can't fucking see anything. Um, so, uh, but o- overall, it was a very enjoyable movie. Um, if you're looking for like a nostalgic kind of watch to that period, to the mid 2000s, but it's something that's not going to make you just like get on your phone immediately while watching, I would suggest this one. I think it was a fun movie. And, and also, um, if you're someone that went to Catholic or religious school, uh, this movie might affect you more than, than you think when you're watching it, because uh, it definitely did for me. Um, but wow. for both of us, that gives us an average of 74. So a nice solid C. I did uh, not expect to give it this good a rating going into <laughs> it. In fact, I was set against it, but I had to, you know, I opened myself up. Uh, the only way this movie, well, I mean, there were a number of ways this movie could have been better, but uh, honestly, a way it could have substantively been better, like a big key thing to develop around was if it wasn't so ham-handed about like, you as an audience, you're, you're on the side of the priest. You're like, oh yeah, she was clearly possessed. This mm-hmm. is a possession movie. But had it tried to actually like fuck with you as the audience, like, well, what do I actually believe here? You know, like, like had it tried to be a little more even handed about the idea of like, well, was she sick? Uh, Did she need help? Or was she actually possessed? And then modern medicine just didn't apply here. And you, you nerds and bureaucrats just don't understand the real truth, capital T at stake here. Like that would have made this, especially with the like, well, but then it probably would have become less of a horror. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, so, I'm asking too much. Yeah. So I'm actually going to go. I know, we, I know we normally do what person would this character be in law school. I'm actually going to do our production notes and like kind of final thoughts before we get into that because our segment for that's a little different. Um, some of the production notes I want to note with this, um, the Chicago Film Critics Association put this as number 86 on their list of top 100 scariest movies ever made which i good yeah i could see that um and you mentioned this being a director who uh has like some like catholic influence and i think he's so it's i guess scott is his name scott derrickson he's a great horror movie director uh has he done so he has done one um sinister which that movie is terrifying it's very good um he's also he has done some marvel stuff he did dr strange uh he but in terms yeah in terms of so starting off he started off you know kind of i i think probably just taking what he was given he did the uh one of the sequels to urban legend he did urban legends final cut he then did one of the sequels to hellraiser so i'm like Mm. it seems like he's a student of the game like he was like i gotta do my thing uh, he did the day the Earth stood still, the one with Keanu Reeves, which like that sucked. Eh. Uh, but then sucked. he did Sinister. He did Sinister Two, obviously as well. Uh, he also now has the Black Phone, which is coming out in next year in 2022. Another scary movie with Ethan Hawke in it, so I'm hyped for that one. So the guy can do horror. And what I thought was interesting about this one, like you mentioned, was he specifically hired um, the other co-writer. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Boardman, because Boardman is a skeptic, you know, of God and uh, mm-hmm. some sort of deity. And he himself, Derrickson, is a believer. So he's like, I wanted to give this like pairing of like someone who believes and someone who believes in more the medical science side. And it made me think kind of like you. I'm like, this could have been done better, where it's like, we're immediately like, let's trust 
Tom Wilkinson. Everything he says is true. This all happened. And it's like, well, it could have been a cool. I'm like, what about if, you know, this was just, you know, religion trumping over a medicine and she could have been helped. And it was, you know, epilepsy and schizophrenia and psychosis that she was suffering from. So they definitely could have done that better. Um, and then the big thing I want to note uh, as well for the production is uh, Jennifer Carpenter, like we mentioned, did all those contortions. Basically, all of them were done without special effects. Like she was yep. doing all that on her own. So that's the one where I was like, when I read that after, I was like, that makes it creepier. That makes it way creepier. Which I I, I think that's why she didn't get any big movie roles after this like this was a big movie when it came out right like and she was a big lead and she was relatively unknown prior to this uh normally that's a launching pad to do more but it's sort of the mark hamill syndrome it's like oh we can't cast luke fucking skywalker in this movie <laughs> it's just gonna it's you were too good in your first big role and we just can't we can't which have it, that which it is kind of the same as mark hamill she does a lot of voice work now too yeah, she does. She's voiced Black Widow. She's vo- uh, voiced Catwoman. She's voiced Sonya Blade from the Mortal Kombat, all the animated movies of mm. those. So like, she's still getting her bag, and I I think she's still very talented. Um, but yeah, then getting into the true life story of this too. So like you mentioned, there was another movie made on this that took this same story. It's the true story of Annalise Michelle, probably or Mikel, maybe I don't know. Um. This movie, that story's. Did you read about that? Yeah, it's. Yeah. So this is like a girl who, I, I, I you know, maybe it's because I'm not that religious of a person, was definitely suffering from some sort of schizophrenia, epilepsy, but she basically first started having this happen when she was like sixteen, I think it was, and then it took like ten years of her suffering from this before her parents were like, I think she's possessed. Um, she would, she dropped out of school, just like in the movie, out of college. Um, she would like always, she would uh, repeatedly do squats. She would eat bugs. She would tear the heads off birds. She would like pee on the floor and then lick it. Um, they said it was probably temporal lobe epilepsy. Um, but her parents, I don't know if her parents were super religious or just convinced by a priest, but they, um, got a bishop the permission of a bishop to do an exorcism uh there's actual photos and video that was taken during the exorcism which if you're curious look it up um it's gnarly uh it's pretty messed up looking um she has like huge bruises all over her uh it actually was an approved exorcism by the diocese and uh she they conducted 67 or exorcisms on her lasting up to four hours uh it did not work um but she also said that she was possessed by six demons lucifer cain judas nero fleischman who was a disgraced priest and adolf hitler himself um was who Ooh. she was uh heavy possessing. hitters man uh she eventually um stopped eating and died of malnutrition dehydration at just 23 years old and the priest, two priests who were actually on it. So kind of like this one, I think also inspired a little bit of the exorcist because old priest mm. and young priest, um, they were actually found guilty of manslaughter resulting from negligence and were sentenced to six months in jail, actually later got suspended. Um, but the parents themselves were actually charged too in this case. 
for negligent wow. homicide. But they were exempted from any punishment because one of the criterias for sentencing in German laws, if you have already suffered enough, and the court found that they had suffered enough with their daughter going through all this, which is wow. kind of like, yeah, they suffered, but like it was by them. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of like that as a consideration uh, in law. Uh, kind of wish American courts kind of had that in some capacities. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like, oh, well, this is uh, uh, like not just for it to be like in the back of everyone's minds, but also just to be like a legal element. Be like, all right, now yeah. we need to factor in how much have you suffered? Oh, shit. Okay. That, that's awesome. Uh, oh, that's fascinating, man. So, uh, yeah. So that was just some cool production notes. But moving into our fun segment that we do on every movie. Normally we do what kind of person would X character in this movie be in law school. I didn't do that for this one because there's really only like three lawyers that we ever see on screen. And there's really only one that we get a lot of exposition on Laura Linney's character. I mean, we get some on the prosecutor at the very beginning, but not much else. So rather than that, since it is, you know, spooky season, I wanted to know what you thought, Spencer, what kind of person would the, this famous scary movie character be in law school? Which ones are the gunners? Which ones are the himbos, idiots? Which ones are the assholes? Which ones are the cool people? Um, we're going to go, I'm going to name them all off first and then we'll go through them. So I have obviously the OG, Michael Myers. Uh, we have the imitator, Jason Voorhees. We have the pun man himself, Freddy Krueger. We have the man child, Leatherface. We have, in my opinion, the biggest dick in scary movies, Jigsaw. Rick. We have uh, the clown, Pennywise. We have probably the biggest smartass, Chucky. And then we have probably the most pretentious one, Pinhead. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say okay. right away, the two dumb ones that you're just going to be like, how are you here? And mm -hmm. what are you going to do? Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees. Those are going to be like the dumb guys, especially Jason, in my well, opinion. Well, those are future uh, assistant county attorneys and or probation <laughs> officers. So, uh, I mean, they're slow and brooding, but they cannot be stopped because, uh, <laughs> well, let's be honest, they're mediocre white men. So, like, so long as they just keep at it, they're going to they're gonna get where they're going. So, and they're just going to keep like saying the same thing over and over and arguments are going to be like, just, you know what? Fine. I get it. Fine. We'll agree to that sort of thing. Yeah. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, either Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees after their stint in the county attorney's office may become sort of a men's rights uh, divorce attorney types. <laughs> you know, like I can see that that's that fits. Yeah. Uh Moving to the next one, though, um, Freddy Krueger, I think he'd be a cool dude to have in law school because he's a dick, but he's a funny dick. Oh, he's a prankster. You know, uh, I, I don't think he's a gunner by any means. Uh, I don't even think he tries to get on journals or whatnot. Uh, but here's the thing with Freddy. Like, everyone knows him at the very least, like he's not a, oh, who was that guy in law school? Everyone knew Freddie. Uh, and I'm not gonna say everyone liked Freddie. Uh, he probably rubbed a number of people the wrong way, but he's got a certain charm. He's got charisma. He's a fast talker. Uh, so 
I, I think he lands well after law school. I get, you know, he, he gets himself a job. Honestly, he probably becomes just a relentless fucking plaintiff's attorney, whether it be like personal injury or employment <laughs> or like med mal, uh, because no matter what you do, he's just going to keep coming and he's going to invade your dreams and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, the next one, Leatherface. I think Leatherface kind of like Michael and uh, Jason, he's just like a dumb guy who's like, but he's going to law school because his entire family is lawyers and this is just what he's supposed to do. He doesn't really know any different and he's stupid, but he's going to have success after law school. Cause he's just going to go work for his family firm. Oh yeah. Or like, uh, yeah. Or become the first in-house counsel for his family's real estate development court. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, I just don't think much of Leatherface to begin with. I, I just don't care for the Texas Chainsaws all that much. He's a poorly developed horror character because it's of how many different sh- iterations he's had. Yeah, like, it just, never flows. It's shit. Um, but next one, I would say this is going to be the worst person in law school. That's Jigsaw. This dude is such on such a fucking high morality horse over everyone in law school. And he lets you know it, that he thinks he's better than you. Uh, he tries to trap you in like his little arguments all the time. He's the guy who like will directly like try to like name what sort of logical fallacy you're using in arguments like in lecture. This dude would suck in law yeah. school. Yeah, yeah, you've got that on the head. And uh, to gild your lily further, I mean, this guy's sort of got an end game of like, I'm going to sow discord between this group of, of law <laughs> students my first year of law school, knowing that I will be able to reap the benefits of that by my third year and yes. turn them against each other. This guy, is, and it's, he's an organized chaos agent. He's a shithead. Uh, he's a card-carrying member of the Federalist Society. I want <laughs> nothing to do with him. Um, kind of the same way Pennywise is like, the same thing for me but he just he loves taking it from everyone he's like i'm gonna piss off everyone in this law school i'm gonna play devil's advocate for everything i'm gonna make everyone angry and everyone's gonna yell at me and i'm just gonna drink that in oh no no he's a shit he, he he's a total shit and he abs i mean he not only aggravates the majority of his cohort but he pisses off the professors too being like god damn it but you know what? He's brilliant. You can't argue with his uh, persistence, uh, his longevity, or his body count. Uh, <laughs> so he's going to end up straight out of law school, landing a clerkship with like the Fifth Circuit or something <laughs> like that. Uh, and then Chucky, this is my vote for the best one in law school. Because again, like Freddie, he's a dick, but he's funny. Like he'll make little quips. He'll be like a guy that you want to hang out and have a beer with at like bar review or like hang out at the bars after studying. And there might be some people that don't like him, but fuck those people. Yeah, I think you, I think that's a good assessment. And you know, Chucky goes on to become a criminal defense attorney, hangs his own shingle, uh, starts specializing in OWIs, things or DWIs, depending on what state you're in. And uh, you know, I mean, like, yeah, he'll defend you on a possession charge or you know, like driving while drunk. I mean, moves moves his way up. He'll handle some, uh, yeah, probably not sophisticated felonies like robberies but he may take a murder here or there because like he honestly it was already a client of his <laughs> like and he just graduated to that yeah yeah it is just like well you know we already yeah I, I can 
I can wing this. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's got the, and you know what? He's got the flair of a good criminal defense trial attorney. Like he's just dramatic like that. Uh, and he's engaging. So it works. Uh, I know Pinhead, but I'll let you go first. Your answer is incorrect, but go ahead. Uh, Pinhead's the guy that wears a suit to every class. Mm. Um, okay. He he is a guy that is like so put together. Um, he's pretentious, but like you kind of get why, because he's like you're like this guy is smart. Like he, I get it, but he's also just like so prim and proper about everything, and. You're just like, there's got to be something off here underneath the surface. Okay. Okay. Um, well, that's a good answer. I, I don't <laughs> disagree with it. Uh, but I think, honestly, man, Pinhead is the dean of your law school. <laughs> that's actually a pretty good answer. Yeah, you just... <laughs> Just imagining like, the madness and the sadism. Just, just imagining like you're at your like law school orientation and he just walks in. He's like, we have such sights to show you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Just like being like, okay, who's the first one, uh, one who can come up here and open this box? And like people are just like, do we actually, does he actually want me to open the box? Yep. It's pretty good. So, yeah, no, I like that answer. Pinhead would, oh, man, that'd be a fucked up law school. Just like people getting tortured and then around the corner, people having sex. I don't know, man. I, to me, that sounds well, like it's, to me, that sounds like a top 20 law school. Yeah. That, and now that I say that out loud, that just sounds like, yeah, a top 20 law school. Uh, shit. All right. Well, any final thoughts on Exorcism of Emily Rose before we, sign off well it's available on amazon prime and a few other free streaming services so uh, uh pluto tv and imdb tv sure both free. And if, well and uh if you have amazon prime too you can get it uh with ads so like ah. yeah no it, it was a good deal it's a good deal side note so you know watching a lot of horror movies with jeff you know we watched candy man's uh I, she really enjoyed them uh, as did i uh just with an older perspective but then you know she threw one out there that was available that I'd never seen. I just heard mostly good things about, but the 2013 horror movie, The Strangers. That is a good horror movie. It is. It is. It's so like the premise is what? Like Liv Tyler and her, you know, like uh I forget. You've seen him on you've seen him on like USA TV series before. Yeah, he's uh, very he's like he he looks like James Marsden, if I, I remember. He does. He <laughs> he very much is like James Marsden light, which is not the best compliment one can get. But um, Glenn uh, Howerton, Dennis from Always Sunny is in it too. Yeah, yeah, no, it's happening. I'm like, holy shit, is that Dennis uh <laughs> popping in here? Uh and yeah, yeah, and the premise is like, yeah, this couple, uh, he makes a proposal on a romantic weekend at a friend's wedding. And she says, mm, I don't know. And then they're stuck at their, like, you know, at his family's, uh, you know, isolated sort of ranch home, you know, out in the woods, it's beautiful, et cetera, et cetera. And then they get a knock on the door amidst this weird tension. And it's a strange woman asking for someone. And they say, you know, kick rocks. She, whoever you're asking for doesn't live here. And then strange things happen, and they're terrorized for the next hour and a half by a group of people in masks. And we don't have a motive, 
or reason. That's what I or yeah. That's what I think makes it such a great horror movie. It's just like this is just people who just decided to, you know, murder some people in a random home, and that's what makes it so random and it could happen anywhere is what made it such a terrifying movie when I saw it in theaters. Also, the sequel, I think, is a lot better than most people give it because it's the same sort of concept. It takes place in a trailer park rather than a, a home. Ooh, uh, okay. I might take a look at that. Yeah. But it's a cool... Uh, it's a At its core, it's a rehashing of the first movie, basically. But okay. it's also like a cool sort of homage to 80s horror movies at the same time. It has some cool camera shots and cool soundtrack that like kind of incorporate almost humor a little bit into it but also like it feels like an 80s slasher at the same time. So yeah, I would suggest those two movies too if you're still looking for movies to watch for the Halloween season. Okay. Well, I got nothing else. From Spencer and myself, remember, never talk to the cops, never go to law school, and none of this is legal advice. Absolutely. (laughs)